the, the dynamic is that if you're going to begin to affirm your human emotions, that in and of itself begins to lend itself to the reality that, wait a minute here, I'm just a human being. I'm not divine, uh, I'm human. And in my humanity, all of these emotions are there. And I think, Allison, you've heard me say that we discover God in our human experiences. And uh, that's an important dynamic for us to keep in mind as we attempt to develop a deeper relationship with God. To another episode of Little Faith. Today's episode might be one of our, our favorite conversations yet on the show and is one that personally for me is, is very special. Today's guest is Alden Sproul, who Al happens to, to be my spiritual director, and I've been um, you know doing weekly, monthly spiritual direction with him for the last year and a half, and he's played a, a really important role um, in my growth spiritually, personally, even professionally. Um, and it's had just a profound impact on my life. And so to, to have the honor to have him on the show today to share more about his journey and for him to share so much of his wisdom um, really meant a lot. And I think this episode will be very helpful and can also mean a lot to to other people, whether you know your, your personal view on Christianity is positive or negative and you know, Al really just shares a totally different world, I think, of understanding the Bible and the Christian tradition and, and really pulls practices, you know, from some of the, the earliest Christians and contemplative Christianity and centering prayer and Lectio Divina and some of all these things that maybe to, to some people you've never even heard. It was an honor to have him on the podcast today. This is a very special episode and we really hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for coming on to the What the Faith podcast. You've had, you know, a profound impact on my life in the last year. And so I couldn't think it'd be more appropriate to have you be a guest on on our podcast. Every episode, you know, we like to start off by just asking our guests their spiritual background, you know, how you got into spiritual direction, how you became a Christian, and you know, how how you you've gotten to where you are today. Well, do we have enough time? <laughs> Well, I'm from Western Pennsylvania. Uh, I came into this world in uh, 1944 and uh, grew up in a family that was primarily committed to attending the Church of the Nazarene. And that's where my initial conversion experience came from. And that's where my call to Christian service came from. Grew up with two other siblings. And from there to uh, honoring the call to a college in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I did my Bachelor of Theology degree, and began to sense then that there were some shifts going on in my life as uh, I began working in the hospital as a house orderly. And that began to put new eyes on my life as I faced the reality of human suffering in my early 20s. And from there, I went to pastorates in Pennsylvania for eight years, and then to graduate school in Kansas City, and uh, again, working in primarily senior adult populations and from all over the world and listening to their religious stories began to 
sense that there was a lot of good that I had not been exposed to from those traditions and began to embrace those into my own life. From uh, the Kansas City experience, I went to uh, Lutheran General Healthcare System in Chicago, where my service was to cancer patients and their families. And uh, I worked for seven Jewish physicians and a Jewish social worker. And we had quite the time of discussing and sharing and learning and growing and um, ministered to a lot of patients who were really individuals who had survived Auschwitz and Buchenwald and um, struggling with the questions, the spiritual questions for them of uh, how could I survive Auschwitz and Buchenwald and now end up with cancer? And uh, those were challenging conversations. It was during the time in Chicago that our son Daniel was diagnosed with cancer and the bottom of my ship had fallen out because of that. I was so angry and disturbed by the diagnosis and seeing his leg amputated and he was a 11 and a half. It was like a sword piercing my heart. And that's when uh, Flo Smith came into my life and uh, she was the coordinator of Roman Catholic ministry. And she said, Al, do you folks know anything about silence? And I sort of laughed and said, no, we're a noisy group. <laughs> and uh, she chuckled a little with me, but she said, you know, if you're going to be dealing with a son with cancer and also being the pastor of patients with cancer, uh, I would recommend you spending some time in silence. It no doubt would be very helpful for you. And uh, every once in a while, she would come by and encourage me to do that. And to be honest with you, I was fearful. What would come up that I uh, really didn't want to know about yet <laughs> because I was feeling so much out of control with Daniel. And uh, finally, the pain of the anger got so difficult that I finally decided to go. And I called the Seneca Retreat House in Warrenville, Illinois, told them a little bit about what I was going through. And they reached into their calendar and scheduled an eight-day experience for me there. And I participated in the Ignatian exercises. Uh, what was shocking to me was that uh, the nuns had been praying for me for 45 days. <laughs> that this experience would be a place of redirection and healing in my life. And uh, it began my interest in contemplative spirituality. It began my intrigue with silence and uh, recognizing that there was something in that journey of silence that I had missed growing up. and. Um, Participated in a number of retreats over the years. And uh, then people began to come and say, while we were still in Chicago, would you accompany me in my spiritual journey? 
And at that time, I was seeing a nurse, Jerry Locke. And during one of our sessions, I said to him, what are these people asking for? I'm hardly able to keep my own head above water, let alone be present to someone else. And Jerry said to me, well, how many people are, did, have inquired about this for you? And I said, well, over the last three months, six individuals have come forward. And he encouraged me then to do some discernment about a call to spiritual direction. And uh, those began the fledgling experience and growing to become a spiritual director. Uh, went from there to California, where we lived 30 years and uh, took some graduate study and did a certificate in spiritual direction and an advanced degree at that time. So, uh, Vicki and I have been married 56 years. Um, it's been an exciting adventure for all of them. And uh, trust that wherever this goes today will be helpful to someone. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like there's so many parts that we could dive into that would just like take hours of a conversation. But one of the things that I really related to just you talking about the pain of going through cancer, not yourself, but watching people go through cancer, whether it's your own, your own son or these other people. And it's such a powerful thing. And I, it just, it triggers so much. I'm just curious if you could kind of explain from looking back, I mean, how did yeah, so often I feel like triggers like such a spiritual experience <clears throat> watching that happen or almost the need for one. I'm just curious. I'm just curious what, if you could kind of delve into that and like how it really drew you towards uh, this exploration of silence and spirituality. Maybe uh, since I'm a poet to share you, one of my poems might be helpful. Uh, the title is Grace in, ha Grace in Chaos. Havoc breeds this frenetic activity looming high over our heads with the price of disconnect from God and others, pushing us away from commitment, not nurturing self in spirit increases our sense of helplessness, overwhelmed by personal choices, withdrawing into anger, feeling stuck with depression, gripping my life, I turn into the dark mystery. My heart opens to sacred space, feeling pushed into the stillness, discovering an unfamiliar experience of love and affirmation. The gift of a word read speaks directly into my heart with healing and hope of return. The dark mystery part really stuck out to me. You know, I feel like yes. I feel like when you're having a you know, you're, you're wrestling with your own personal spirituality while also being so close to death around you, right? It's like leaning into that dark mystery of why, why would a loving God allow suffering? How do you find God within the midst of that? Yeah. And I, you know, I'd love to know too, you kind of touched on it of that challenge of, of wrestling with, you know, your son, Daniel having cancer while also trying to provide spiritual comfort to cancer patients, what what did that kind of duality look like while, you know, wrestling with your own anger towards God while trying to pro provide comfort to people also going through cancer? Well, I think, Allison, the 
the guidance of the spiritual director was very helpful for me. And um, and what you find with such serious illness is the journey with people's lives as they struggle with something that at least during the time I was serving, uh, you received a diagnosis of cancer and the likelihood of survival was still pretty small. Uh, fortunately, things have changed over the years, but uh, many people would struggle with the emotions of, well, should I be angry and should I be angry at God for a sense of betrayal and all of those kinds of questions. And uh, every once in a while, I would feel a sort of a clearance to go ahead and say to them, you know, I'm going through this same journey with my son and I have been very, very angry at God as well. And um, it was flying back to Chicago that I was invited by Dan, our son, to attend Fiddler on the Roof. And uh, have you seen Fiddler on the Roof, you guys? You have. You haven't. Oh, my. A little little out of culture on this side. Yes, you'll remember Tevia. Tevi is one of the powerful characters in the, in the movie. And you see him sort of railing at God. Where were you when this came down? And where were you when this was going on? And what I saw in Tevia was a relationship with the divine that was very refreshing to me. He modeled a behavior which said simply, if I have to accept you as you are, you have to accept me as I am. So that meant for me, I could say what needed to be said, knowing that I would be embraced and loved by God. And um, began to then help patients learn a little bit more that the rabbi had taught me about praying my rage. For the Psalms uh, were never read in temple worship, they were always chanted. And uh, the Orthodox rabbi that worked with me, at Lutheran was um, very much into chanting the angry passages and uh, gave guidance that was very helpful to me that it was okay. You could be free to express your rage to God because God understands. And that freed up a number of patients to do that as well without carrying the essence of guilt into their lives. Do you you feel like... um... Is that, I mean, I, th- I think that's such a common thing. I mean, all around the world, especially in Western culture, like feeling that rage and it's often it is just pushed aside. What, I mean, you've kind of, you, I mean, you've kind of talked about, but I mean, what would you say the benefits are to like really accepting that, that kind of emotion? Well, I'll tell you my story with it. I was eventually encouraged to kneel down beside my bed, stack up a couple of pillows, and begin to just pound in those pillows and make those I statements. I'm angry about this and I'm angry about that, using that as a I statement to express my anger and frustration. The first time I did that, I it was quite a lengthy period of pardon me, a lengthy period of time. And I ended up on the floor up beside the bed weeping. But I had such a sense of 
being enfolded in the loving arms of God. Probably something deeper and richer than, than any other point in time. And uh, that was very, very healing for me. Yeah. I also feel like it's so counterproductive, especially in like Western, like the West sense of Christianity, right? Of like, it's, I feel like in so many Christian circles, like it's very taboo to ever be like angry at God or to question God's judgment, you know? And I feel like just even getting to a place where you could do an exercise that's about expressing your anger, <laughs> I think for a lot of people in the West would be very difficult. You know, I think even for me, as someone who has been always inquisitive about spirituality, even I feel like that little sense of like guilt in the back of your head of like, Oh, I shouldn't be questioning this or I shouldn't be angry. So I don't know. I just, I enjoy that because I think it's so countercultural to what most people in, in Christianity are taught. Well, the, the dynamic is that if you're going to begin to affirm your human emotions, that in and of itself begins to lend itself to the reality that, wait a minute here, I'm just a human being. I'm not divine. Uh, I'm human. And in my humanity, all of these emotions are there. And I think, Allison, you've heard me say that we discover God in our human experiences. And uh, that's an important dynamic for us to keep in mind as we attempt to develop a deeper relationship with God. I have a quick okay, thought, because I'm thinking about your poem, too, and kind of this whole conversation. And there seem to be a lot of contrast between this, the clutching and the hanging on, and this, like, very, like, closed form that's hanging on to this rage and these feelings. And then you have the contrast of, like, opening your heart. And it reminded me a lot. I've been reading Alan Watts recently, which Allison said she <laughs> that you're a fan too. So, <laughs> but he in his book of um, Meaning of Happiness, he was talking about how you can't hang on to air, you can't catch sunlight. In the same way, we have to open up wind and stop opening up windows and letting time and these feelings pass through us. And I'm curious the the connection with. You know, in Western culture, we're so like hanging, like it's always like hanging on to this, like don't let it out. Like, and it's like, feels like we're like building these barricades until we can't breathe. And I mean, it is like, you talk about rage, but I mean, what are some of the ways back then that you felt like you were kind of like able to open up those windows and breathe some fresh air? Well, in the moments of struggle with the cancer diagnosis, personally in our lives, as well as collectively with many, many patients, you have an either or going on inside of you. You can either suppress your frustrations and anger and disappointment, and then later on you'll dump it onto somebody else. <laughs> or you can begin to recognize that there's a freedom in ownership of these emotions that's very, very important. A simple practice that... Uh, I was told about years ago was simply this one, is that you place all of those emotions into your hands that are troubling you and disturbing you at the moment and lift it up with uh, this kind of a prayer, oh God, come and uh, do with this as you wish. 
I wish it were a better gift than what it is, but this is what I have to offer. Take and do with it as you wish and turn it over and let it go. And uh, that's what I would do with feelings of guilt. Uh, if I started to have that, well, this is the gift that I bring. Uh, do with it as you wish and turn it over and let it go. It's recognizing that all of life is gift. Good, bad, and ugly about us as human beings is that which God will welcome us in offering to him or her. <laughs> that seems, I mean, I love it. That even reminds me, it was just like, even in the Old Testament, when they talk, I think it was, I think it was Leviticus. I'm so bad at remembering the books, but like when they talk about the, the levels of like, you know, you always have to like give your best to sacrifice when you take it to the altar. And it was like, there was like so many levels of like, okay, if you don't have the finest bowl, then you can like bring this. And if you don't have that, you can bring this. Mm -hmm. And it seems similarly with like our internal, what we, what we bring forward. It's a, a subtle form of negotiation <laughs> in light of where we find ourselves in life. I really want to dive into, you know, that first eight day retreat you did, right? So we've, we've touched on anger, but I feel like we haven't really touched on silence yet. One thing that you mentioned, which clearly is a detail that stuck out to you, is that even before making it to the retreat, these nuns had been praying for you for 45 days? 65 of them. So I'd love to know just how that experience impacted your journey of, you know, having these people who had never met you to pray over you, to go and then experience eight days of silence. What, what was that journey like? Well, when I walked in the door and introduced myself to the receptionist, one of the nuns was standing there uh, waiting for me. And she said, I want to take you back so you can meet Sister Pauline Wetrick. She's going to be your spiritual director while you're here on retreat. And we went down the hall and she was waiting for me in one of the cove kind of rooms. And uh, I sat down and uh, introduced myself to her. She introduced herself to me. And she said, let me tell you a story. She said, when I grew up in Chicago, uh, no, 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 she grew up in Washington State, in fact. And she was raised in a very conservative Baptist church. And uh, to continue her education, she was sent off to Moody Bible Institute, a very conservative Bible College in Chicago, which still is in existence. And she said, when I arrived, I found myself in an environment that was foreign to me. So much of what they were preaching about was all external. And my heart longed for something deeper and richer. And I called my mother and father and told them, you know, I don't know whether this is a good place for me or not. And they trusted her and they said, be prayerful and notice where God leads you. And as she walks up and down some of the streets of Chicago, she bumps into a cynical nun <laughs> who invites her to come out to Warrenville and she eventually joins that order. So here's a very conservative Baptist. And she said, I'm sharing this story with you because I want you to know I understand your background. 
as a conservative Christian. And uh, so that began the retreat. And uh, she, then I was arriving probably around one o'clock in the afternoon. And she said, I'll see you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock because she had agreed to take me through the Ignatian exercises, an eight-day experience of them. And she said, my recommendation would be for you to just enter into the silence, eat in silence, uh, pray in silence, and I'll see you tomorrow. And uh, that then began the first 24 hours of my journey into silence. Um, it take, took me about 12 hours before I could get quiet enough inside to begin to have something come over me that was much deeper and richer, uh, a letting go of the struggle to get quiet. And uh, that experience then began to unfold over the eight days. And you can figure we, we may have spent a half an hour talking together for her to give guidance, but the rest of it was in silence. So um, new discoveries began to be made. Um, as I walked through the woods in back of their retreat center, I began to hear much deeper the sounds of nature. Uh, and I learned that the more commitment, the serious commitment I make to silence, the greater my hearing becomes. And uh, that has been an important lesson to remind directees. Silence prepares us to hear more of the divine voice. Um, there were some things that came up in my journaling out of the silence that related to my own family of origin. Um, my mother particularly, and I'd written her several letters out of that experience, dealing with our relationship, moving toward deeper levels of healing. But the things that I learned about uh, um, scripture out of the Ignatian exercises, one was the use of imagination and how instead of just reading the gospel text, literally enter the text as a observer or as a person in the story as it unfolds, and then write out of that experience. And that became a very, very wonderful process for me. She introduced me to Lectio Divina as well, which was a new prayer process. For me. And um, what I learned by the use of Lectio was that um, the process of that movement is connecting your human experience with the text of scripture. And that's its gift to us. Um, there was enough of a taste of silence, Allison, that I've kept that in place for all these years. I've done 44 now, eight day of silent experiences and one 15-day experience in silence. And uh, I do that every year, but I also practice 
silence every day. And that's rooted in the Jewish understanding of Sabbath, the importance of silence in that experience. For people who don't know what Lectio is, would you be willing to share a little bit about that? Lectio Divina is a spiritual reading. It's Latin for spiritual reading. And it's an approach to the text where you have silence and you're reading a text, short passage out of the Gospels and another period of silence, and you're reading the same text as though it were a love letter from God to you with another period of silence. And the third reading, you're noticing a word or a phrase that sort of stands out of the text, something short, and you begin to just uh, entertain the relationship with that word and its connection to the story. and. Um, make some notes in your journal about what that might be for you. And you go on and, and read another period of silence and then reading it another time. And you're asking the question, I've had silence, I've noticed a word, I've reflected on that word, I've journaled on that word. Now, how? what is the application of that word in my life this week? How does it make sense? And I begin then to meditate and reflect on that and make some journal notes about that decision and proceed then to do that action. It's a wonderful gift of process. Been around quite a long time, but sometimes the old can be very helpful. Ashton's processing. (laughs) Take that in for a second. Hard to swallow, Ashton? Is that what you're saying? No, it's, I mean, it's amazing. I think that's so needed. Very different. It's very different from most. I think how most people view Christianity, especially yes. from Ashton's background as a witness. I mean, it's, it's all know, it's, like, it's all different. It, there's, yeah, there's more similarities between what you're talking about in Buddhism than Jehovah's Witness Christian teachings. Yeah, well, I mean, what I love about that, and it kind of takes me back to when Allison first reached out to you and started the spiritual direction, is like I was just getting into meditation. Allison and I did like a quick, just like breathing meditation exercise together. She loved it, but then like, how can I take this into the, the Christian realm? How can I learn this? And I think it's so like so amazing that she found you, and I've seen so many benefits since then, and like such a such a so she's grown, has she? <laughs> yeah, she's, she's like, grown, has she? Like three inches, <laughs> <laughs> but definitely like a, an evolution of character, I think, and and how she speaks and just how she tackles the world. And, and I'm curious. Well, I mean, my my biggest wonder is why aren't why aren't why isn't these classic Christian because practice is such an important part of spirituality. Why aren't people using this? Why isn't it a mainstream thing out there? That's uh, my mind. <laughs> I wondered that myself, but the reality is um, that most clergy that I meet, let's say from 35, 40 on, they have not been exposed to spiritual formation in their training. They've not been exposed to Christian spiritual practices. Most of us within Christendom become quite comfortable with what we're doing. 
And um, my world was radically changed by serious illness. And I was in desperation seeking for something deeper and richer to, to ground me and sustain me in life. But the other reality, I think, which is a sad one for me to talk about, is that um, clergy today are so busy trying to keep the organization going that they have little time given to exploring deepening prayer. Uh, you also have to put into the equation, I think, some fresh water so I can continue to talk. But uh, you also have to put into the equation that most of us <clears throat> have been shown ways to pray. And then when you run into somebody like me, who offers you uh, strange looking things, you wonder about the integrity of what this is about. But I must say to you, the people, when I started my private practice in spiritual direction here in Shelby, North Carolina, um, came from this immediate area and were in the Bible built here. And uh, every one of them who came said this to me. I've attended church all of my life, Al. I have a hunger for something deeper and richer. Several of them have said I went to my pastor and I really didn't get the kind of help that I wished for. And I bumped into somebody who knew you and could we visit and talk and see about what this spiritual direction is? Because spiritual direction was a new term for them. And uh, today the practice has grown. I see people from here to California, West Coast. Uh, I've seen people in China, uh, but, it, but people aren't bouncing off of my door trying to get in. Typically, it takes hunger. It also takes, I think, uh, a serious look at what are my intentions. And in order to write about your intentions, you have to clear out all the distractions of your life. And centering prayer, which is another ancient prayer process um, that really helps us to learn how to do that. See, Christian spiritual practices are not salvific. They don't save you, but they do help you to get out of the way so you can be more present to God. And more particularly to even here, the psalmist in, I think, the King James translation said, oh, that God would give me a new year. Uh, the Hebrew says, oh, that God would dig out my ears that I might hear him more clearly. <laughs> so uh, the Hebrew writer knew that there was a lot of distractions that would have to be dealt with. But I've probably gone off onto a rabbit trail here, so bring me back. <laughs> I'd be curious, you know, one thing that I've been asked before and I always find it a fascinating question. And I'd love to ask you is, you know, going through this journey and having somewhat of like this just radical shift in your understanding of your own personal faith, um, what kept you kind of grounded or coming back to 
Christian tradition, right? Like you could have gone through this silence journey. And I know that you've pulled inspiration from various religious traditions, but what is it about the, the Christian faith for you? Well, I come out of the Wesleyan tradition, John and Charles Wesley. They were brothers who facilitated a revival time in the 18th century in England. John Wesley, in debating with uh, people during his day, said to them, the only thing that really matters is what you do with the Christ. And I think when, when I look at my experience, I don't get terribly caught up in all the other varying kinds of theological discussions. Though if you were here in my library, you'd see I have about 40 volumes of theology. So I enjoy reading it, but uh, the central piece is that attunement with the divine. And uh, so everything that I've adapted, used, and drawn in, I've drawn into that world. But it has um, broadened my base of operation. Um, listening to the journey of others beyond Christianity, uh, Buddhists, and American Indians, and uh, several other traditions from Africa that I was able to minister to at the bedside in California. Uh, there are things that go on in those traditions that I was attracted to, and I would bring them home and find them extremely helpful in my own spiritual journey. But one of the things that I saw in Buddhism, which was very helpful to me, was that they, they talk about a loving-kindness meditation. Now, they probably take it a little further than I would take it because it's a little inconsistent with my Christian faith. But what I was reading one day, I found that a phrase of loving-kindness meditation repeated, loving-kindness repeated itself over and over again in the Psalms. So that was an important concept for the psalmist. And uh, I had an individual come in and uh, was very upset at her boss and very angry and furious about the treatment that she was getting. And she says, do you have something that I can do to help get out of that cycle of anger and frustration? So I offered her this. Have you tried a loving kindness meditation? Entering into the silence noticing your breathing in and out, recognizing that that is the breath that God gave you as you came into existence. And as you breathe in, you're breathing in loving kindness, exhaling the anger and frustration toward that person. Breathing in God's loving kindness, exhaling the anger and the frustration with that person. And you're the only one who can determine when you've expelled enough of that resentment and anger. At least for today, you may have to come back to it tomorrow, but at least for today. And once you made that decision, then you continue that breathing process. I'm breathing in God's loving kindness into my heart and that space that I've emptied. And then I begin to exhale God's loving kindness to that person that I've been angry at. Breathing in God's loving kindness exhaling loving kindness to them. And it frees you from your intense anger and disappointment and rage. And it also, I've heard over the years, that it touches that individual 
that you've been angry about it, he too changes. <laughs> so uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful journey. From my uh, background in dealing with American Indians, here's a story that was very important uh, told to me years and years ago. The Apaches were training warrior Indians. And they had the final ceremony was done by the oldest chief living yet in the tribe. And uh, the night before they had their final graduation or whatever it was, he came by and touched them and said, I'll be by to awaken you around three o'clock in the morning and we, we, we will walk out onto the plains and up to the top of the mesa. And um, the first phase of the experience was he positioned them all over the valley, visually available to him, but they were strung out through the grasses. And as the sun came up, he motioned for them to return to him. And they gathered seated around him. And he said to them, we are Apache warriors now. You will be into battle. You will have to make decisions about killing others. Remember this experience this morning because the morning dew came down and settled on you before I invited you here. That says to us that we as Apache warriors must keep our hearts soft and tender as we make those difficult decisions in life. Quite a different story than what American media has produced of the American Indian. Sorry, I'm just taking it all in. I'm just processing. <laughs> That's all right. I'm not going anywhere. Even though we're almost to an hour, how long do you usually go? Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I, I guess <clears throat> to kind of start heading in that direction, then we do we do always like to ask, you know, if you can leave people with one a certain idea, a certain thought to to walk away with, to take away from this conversation. What would you want to tell people? Well, I think first of all, I would say it's important to honor the hunger that you have in your heart for something deeper and richer. Don't be afraid of that. Uh, that is a gift from God. God is love. God desires loving relationships. And, you know, we're, I was raised in an environment where the only important thing really was getting people saved. And that is important, but there's so much more of life to live and that relationship needs to be deepened and become more intimate with God. And that's where spiritual direction and or spiritual practices come into play. But to look at that one from the standpoint of intention, what are you yearning for? Spend some time reflecting on what is it that I really want to, to discover? Another question you might wish to consider is, what is asking to be born through you? Meister Eckhart, one of the mystics, uh, said that we are each 
to become mothers of God. So how do I birth God anew in my life? Can you imagine that a force of great compassion is also stretching toward you? It's not just you longing for God, but God also coming toward you with information that both you and the world need. Holding this simple intention requires letting go of placing any importance on what it creates, going where God leads. Uh, and that's probably uh, an important piece of journey for us as people of faith. Wow. Um, yeah. uh, that reminds me, I read this uh, passage this morning. It was kind of like a summary or in-depth of like the Gospel of Judas. And it was talking in the Gnostic Gospels. And it was talking about how Judas's frame has and how things are framed from his perspective is less about like the death on the cross as being the, the point of the Christian journey, but rather like the life that comes through like God's love, right? That like our relationship with God is more about like the light and life it brings out in the human experience rather than the the focus on death. And that just kind of reminded me of that. That stuck out for me today. Well, the, the human journey is a challenge. We didn't know when we came out of our mother's womb how challenging life was going to be, or we may have chosen to stay. <laughs> but one of the things that that birthing experience shows us is that we left a very dark, secure, moist place in order to come out into the world and face different temperatures, face the unknown. And, and that says to me that as God leads us and births something new in our lives, it probably has that same flavor of leaving what we've come to know and be comfortable with and secure in, but yet being pushed by the labor pains of life into something new and rich and meaningful. Well, I mean, thank you. <clears throat> I feel like I... <laughs> Learns like not just learn so much, but just like for me, just being able to like listen to you talk has been a comfort and a maybe to conclude, if I may, with a, another piece of poetry. Go for yeah. it. The book that I published had published was Walking Along the Edge, and this was the first poem in that book. The Edge. You are vulnerable. Disease comes with its cutting-edge diagnosis. You have a serious illness. Welcome the new faces agreeing to walk together strengthens our ability to be awake in each step. The edge shared together cuts both ways, hope being shattered then rebuilt over and over again. Hanging together teaches darkness is not the enemy. It pushes us into the unknown, then nudges us forward. Here we see splashes of light empowering us to let go and embrace the remaining gifts. Edge living is full of pain, grief, happiness, laughter, and joy. Shared love on the journey gives us a new understanding of hope. Truth comes to us through honest connection with each other, good or bad. Truth often hard, guides us to redefine love, separation, and togetherness. Coming to this intersection, for many, is all that has carried them 
into the next day. That's good stuff. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, if people want to, before we, before we finish, if people want to read your book, uh, read your books. Do you have a copy, Allison? I don't. I don't, but we're. Walking along the edge. Where, where can we, where can we purchase? You can get that on Amazon. Okay. And we'll, we'll share links in the, the show notes for people. If people are also interested, you know, in your spiritual direction services, where, what should they Google? You can post my email if you wish. Okay. Back here in North Carolina, the phone gets a little crazy and it pushes everybody that it's, that is not known in my current phone list. Everybody gets pushed to voicemail. So I'll respond quicker if you send it to an email. That's great. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yes. You know, you're very well-spoken. Your journey is inspiring. And it's, I don't know, it's been a gift to spend the last hour together. Well, thank you for inviting me to come and be a part of this uh, ongoing, developing community that you're growing. And uh, hope that this is helpful to some of them. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the What the Faith podcast. Music brought to you by Justin Kay. And as always, if you liked what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review for the podcast. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.